On this episode of the podcast, I have on with me Ella Alkali Schreiber. She is the head of pricing and recommendations at Hopper. I'm going to cover a couple different topics on this episode. Ella's role is very strategic in terms of the actual impact on the business. We're going to cover some of those areas, how their business model is set up for a longer term view of the customer. And um, they apparently can get algorithms in production really quick. And I know she's got a ton of stories to share. Hopefully we'll get as much as we can in this episode. Ella, thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Absolutely. I appreciate it. And, uh, I did not do, obviously, your background justice. Uh, if you could, for the listeners, give us a you know brief synopsis of who you are, how you got here, and we'll go from there. Of course. So my name is Ella, and as you mentioned, I'm the head of pricing and recommendations at Hopper. I lead a cross-functional team of designers, data scientists, PMs, and engineers in the creation of data-driven fintech products that help customers to plan their future travel and save money on their travel. We leverage our immense consumer and uh, airfare data that Hopper collected in the last eight years in order to provide users value that they can't find elsewhere. This is a pretty new initiative at Hopper. We actually started less than a year ago, but it already drives over 75% of the company's revenue. So you can imagine how exciting time that's for the team. Prior to that, I was the VP of Data Science at Hopper where I led the data science and analytics team and all the data-driven culture at Hopper. I spearheaded all the machine learning and AI efforts that today are around 20% of the company's sales. So a way to think about it is that what once was done by a human travel agent is now being done by this AI machine learning travel agent that helps you to finalize your plan and understand where you want to go next and what's the best deal that you can score for that trip. Before Hopper, I actually lived in Israel. I worked at Outbrain, which is the biggest content discovery platform in the world, serving over 500 million uh, unique users a month's content recommendations. So if I need to summarize my whole excitement around data science, it's usually B2C recommender systems and bringing a lot of value and productionize and monetize data in order to provide value to consumers. So I was just thinking as you were talking, I mean, Hopper needs to maybe construct a bubble and kind of make sure you're in a bubble because you have such a direct impact in terms of what they're doing. I'm just kidding, obviously. No, it's really impressive, uh, the percentage of revenue. And maybe let's start talking about that in terms of um, your role in the strategic you know, implementation of data science and machine learning. Obviously, dealing with pricing, it's a core. What is it that you bring to the team in terms of strategy and the role that's making such an impact in terms of what the business is doing at Hopper? Sure. So first of all, Hopper was built on the premise of empowering travelers in a completely new way using data and machine learning. That's the core of the company. So it's a data-driven product. And that means that data has a huge role in the strategy and the business of the company. So first of all, by design, the company is very, very data-driven. What I believe is that data should be always part of the conversation when it comes to strategy and the business. So whatever we do, whatever new cool ideas we have for modeling, we always tie back to the business KPIs and to the strategy. Even with the price prediction, so for those who don't know about Hopper, I can give a bit of a context. So Hopper basically predicts airfare, so flight prices. So today, a user can launch the app, search for region, destination, departure, return, and we'll tell them if it's a good 
price. If the price that they see now is a good price or they should score a better price in the future and they should wait with us. From that point, they will watch the trip with us and we start a multi-session conversation with the user until we actually hit this target price that we think that is a good price. And then we tell the users to buy. So on average, users are saving between $50 on domestic to even $100 on international flights. This is basically what brought users to use the platform in the first place. Now, everything we do should be tied into how that impacts the user lifetime value and how that impacts our conversions and how we can get more users to become our customers using this like new value prop or new like data science feature that we're working on. I can give you, for example, price freeze. We clearly do price prediction and we work on it and it's our value prop and we do it very well, but we can't be accurate 100% of the time. So sometimes I might tell you to buy, but you end up scoring a better deal in the future or I tell you to wait and you will end up paying more. So how can I not only help you to save, but also score the best price for you? So in order to do that, we have a lot of complementary features that basically move the risk from the customer to Hopper. And basically without being accurate 100% of the time, if I'm wrong, I'm taking the cost on me. So the customer has success scenario and they stay in the platform. A uh, good example is price read. When you see a good deal price and I'm telling you that you should book now, but you're not ready to book, you can freeze the price that you see today for a nominal fee and come later after you finalize your travel plan and book for the same price. So let's say you search Boston to Cancun, you saw $400 or these days maybe $200 is a good deal. And <laughs> given the interesting times of airfare, and you're not ready to book. So by putting $20 to the service, now I hold this like $200 and you can come in whatever time in the future, like in a week from now and book that flight for 200. If the prices went up, I'm paying the difference. Hopper will pay the difference and you stay with the 200. If price goes down, you pay the lower price. If price stays the same, you pay the same. So the way Hopper makes money from this is from the service cost, right? And we're losing money if price go up and we should pay the difference when you're coming to pay. So if your $200 flight went to 80, now I pay the 80 on behalf of you. So at the beginning, the business model was that we take this $20 that you put up front to freeze the price as service cost, as a service fee. But if you think about it now, the algorithm suggests that the less likely you are to book, the more likely I am to not lose money. Because if you book and the price go up, I lose money then. And this is not in line with Hopper's strategy. Like we don't care about short-term revenue gains. We care about getting you to become a customer. So we changed the model to be deposit. So today when user arrives, comes and wants to freeze a price that they see today, they put this $20, but they can use this $20 towards any transaction that they want to make on Hopper. So now if the price went down or the price stays the same or the price went up, you already have $20 that you put in the platform. So you're not losing money. And if the price stayed the same or went down, so because you have $20 within Hopper, you're more likely to make your transaction within Hopper. So this is kind of like how we change business models based on LTV and short-term revenue gain. Gotcha. So to shift the risk from 
Yeah, I know when you look on competing services, let's say Kayak, and it tells you to buy now or wait, they have no vested interest in whatever happens. They're just showing you a little arrow, and half the time, I don't know if it's even right, but you you kind of feel warm and fuzzy that maybe you're making the right decision. When you guys decided to take you know, the strategy of we're going to think about the long term, we'll absorb the cost, you know, we'll provide a $20 credit if there's an issue. What happens? I'm sure the CEO is sitting with somebody in a strategic meeting going, so you want us to cover the cost of the price going up? Like that's going to cost us money. Where did that conversation, you know, originate from? Obviously, I don't want you to share the inner secrets, but just in terms of the process that you know, if you're taking like a novel shift in business, obviously you control the data, you're producing the recommendation engine to do this. Where does that conversation kind of look like, you know, to kind of, you know, approach something this big? Yeah. So first of all, I think that only in companies where the leadership is so data-driven, you can have this conversation going. Luckily at Hopper, the leadership is so customer-obsessed and very data-driven that this conversation is very natural to us. In fact, when I speak about a model like that, when I back it with numbers suggested, I will actually win more money at the end of the day if I will acquire you as a customer. Because once you're a customer with Hopper, you're always going to book with Hopper. And we see that 65% of our bookings to date are from returning customers. So if your lifetime value, for example, is worth $35 and here I'm making a net of on the offer of $5. Clearly, I should think about how I make you more likely to become a customer rather than like winning this like $5 now. It's interesting. Yeah, it's all back with, you know, by how much something increases conversion and how much customer lifetime value is versus how much we can get from this like short revenue gains. And if you think about Hopper, Hopper Foundation is like that. Like we think about conversion in it totally different way. While we're making money from booking, 60% of users that will launch the app and search will actually see a wage recommendation. And one might claim, okay, you guys are crazy. You're making money from bookings, but you have this conversion killer that tells users not to book now and wait for a better price in the future. So that's a huge churn and drop off. And like, how do you even call these users back? But what if data suggests that if you look at the likelihood of users who received weight recommendation versus buy recommendation to actually end up booking with us and become our customers, the users who received weight because this multi-session conversation that we maintain with them are twice more likely to buy. So this is how we think about it, more a long-term customer relationship rather than a one-session conversion. Yeah, that's interesting because I think, I mean, I was just going through my mind and probably most travelers, I mean, anyone who's listening to this podcast that's ever booked travel, you're looking, you're looking, eventually you're like, well, I I don't want to wait. The price is going to go up with Hopper. It's interesting because you book and you basically feel comfortable that you're insulated. And I think that's the difference in terms of, you know, if I'm looking at it as, you know, you guys are taking the risk versus me. Yeah. I mean, I come back and travel seems to be very commodity. Right. I mean, to me, you know, what I'm shopping is whoever has the lowest price, I'm going to book with them. There's no real allegiance to any of the competing travel sites. But it's interesting that you guys have actually thought that there can be allegiance to a travel booking portal, much like there was, let's say, 30 years ago when you'd call up your travel agent. You had a preferred travel agent. You'd call up to book your stuff. You would rarely price shop because you know, on the phone, you wouldn't be able to find any real advantages most of the time. So you guys have taken a very different view of the role a travel portal like Hopper could play. 
yeah, we try to give you peace of mind. We believe that by building trust and moving this anxiety that users have around price volatility, we can provide you better service and therefore win you as a customer. So it's a win-win situation. And these relationships of trust with users that we build with our data product is what makes Hopper so unique in this travel atmosphere. I'm just curious, like how close is the product team in launching something like this? How's the relationship with product? Because I'm talking to a lot of people on both sides and it's a very, very intimate relationship and the balance is very different to each company. What's the relationship of product and let's say your team? Yeah, so we are building more like a squad organization. So we have verticals. So we don't have a product team and data science team and engineering team separated. This, by the way, has a really high tendency to make data science as kind of like a service org if we're talking about data science uh, as part of like a data company. Because then there's a product team and the data science is kind of like service to the product team in their initiatives and they work on the features, but not really owning the full like initiative. And then there's no one clear stakeholder in a specific business. So it created a lot of not optimal dynamics for us. So we moved to this vertical. We have SDO model, very similar to the Amazon model of like one single threaded owner of a squad that manages P&L. You can think about it as a mini startup. And it's a cross-functional team with product managers, designers, data scientists, and engineers that work within a specific group of initiatives. So for example, we have the price hedging team that works on all these ideas of how do we ensure that we move all the risk from the user to Hopper and get this like best price for the user or the best price that we think that the user can score on a specific flight. So all these ideas of price freeze and price drop and weight guarantee that are complementary to the price prediction. There's a specific group that lives and breathes that and they own it and they own the success of it and they own the failure of it. And this is what they're focusing on. So the conversation is totally different and everyone is involved from day zero. Interesting. I guess just curious when you guys are viewing, you know, obviously you're trying to, you, know, you talk about multi-session conversations. When you're actually kind of evaluating those conversations, are there any particular signals you see? Uh, you know, obviously, if you're tracking me and I come in once versus I come in a second or third time, you know, if I'm coming back multiple times talking about the same trip or, you know, obviously you know, talking about a new trip, are you guys using, I mean, I'm sure you are, but in terms of, you know, that multi-session component, what's the impact of the user the more they come back and the more, I guess, variety of you know, travel trips or, you know, if I'm looking at a car one day and the other day I'm looking at a hotel and I'm just kind of all over the map. How does that look like as a customer to your team? So we have dialogue with the customers. Customers do things in the app and we also speak to customers via our push notifications. We're app only. So push notifications is a very powerful tool. And we track every piece of this dialogue. So whatever you do, whatever you engage in the app, Whatever you search, we track that. And whatever we tell you, if you respond or if you don't respond, which is another signal, we track. Now, when we speak about recommender systems and how to better understand and refine better the extent or flexibility and upcoming intent of a user, in the travel space, it's really hard. It's not like Amazon or uh, Netflix that you visit on a daily basis. And therefore, they have like many signals and many purchases. Travelers usually travel twice a year. So there's a really 
lower feedback loop coupled with many different options of things that I can tell you and many different trips that you might be intrigued by. So this multi-session conversation that we have, this dialogue via push notification and different messaging in the app helps us to refine better what the user is looking for. And this level of intent, price sensitivity, what is this upcoming trip? Is it a weekend getaway and the user is exploring different destinations versus if it's a very specific you know, wedding thing. So this is key to our understanding of what the user is might be interested in. And basically unblocks a lot of the challenges in uh, recommender systems in the travel industry. Interesting. I guess when it comes to experimentation and testing, what's the, I mean, with something like this, little small changes could be massive. How, how do you guys approach experimentation? Yeah, so we A-B test everything. We have an A-B testing platform and we test everything we do from front-end changes to back-end to different modeling. So for every feature that we serve using data, when we do the feature pricing or, or the offering, even the business model, if it's a fee or a deposit, if we go back to this example with price trees, we build this competitive environment of algorithms that run in production and we test our different ideas there. And again, tied back to the KPIs, if it's conversion, if it's LTV, if it's revenue per transaction, understand what the impact of different algorithms on those KPIs. Yeah, I think that, for example, now in price freeze, we have something like five different algorithms that are running in production. This is so important for data science when we talked about like how fast is the turnaround between ideation to production. I can go into a meeting with data scientists, come up with like an interesting idea that the data suggests that might be impactful for one of our key matrix. And 10 minutes later, we have it in production. Data science is full stack. We have specific APIs. They have full ownership on their modeling and it connected to our backend. And then the backend sends a request for like specific price and the data science models basically returns a response. So engineer has their like stable production environment, but data science controls the brain. So this is how we work. It sounds like you're... Uh... Yeah, I was joking that they should put you a bubble in the beginning. Now I'm starting to think more and more <laughs> they should they should put you in a bubble. You know, the one thing I've been noticing is the fact that, you know, you keep mentioning your, you know, data science, data customers, part of the core of the company. You guys have approached it with vertical teams. In terms of the setup itself and how you guys are constructing these teams to make sure that, uh, you know, you're addressing, you know, the view of the customer. Talk about culture, right? So that's a different view of a team, the dynamics. Somebody's coming from the outside and joining. If they've not been familiar with this type of uh, integration, you know, the way you're doing, what's that look like for somebody coming in from the outside? Yeah, so we are super customer-centric, very data-driven. We let the data speak. I think that one of the most dangerous things is to trust our own beliefs rather than the data. Like I can come in and say, oh, I would not pay that. I would not take that service. But sometimes data absolutely surprises you. So we're very data-driven, very customer-centric. So all this idea of LTV over short-term revenue gains, talking directly to customers. We have all the toolkit in order to enable everyone in the company to reach out directly to customers to send either surveys or notifications, asking for feedback from customers. And I highly encourage everyone to do that. If it's an engineer or a data scientist or designer or PM, this is really, really important aspect. And I think also 
good problem solvers. I think that one of the hardest things at Hopper is to make sure that you're asking the hard questions. The travel space is so complicated that everything can become a gigantic, massive project that will take you a year to solve. And many times it's just about how do you refine the problem to something that is achievable in MVP and understanding if there's something there. Because when you provide value to customers, you see it right away. So you don't really need to work on something a year in order to understand that. So how do you break ideas into pieces, I think is another important thing in our culture. So we'll like move quickly and optimize later. What's the balance of, uh, you know, when we talk about move quickly, MVP, what's the balance of making sure that the kernel of the strategy idea is right versus trying to obviously, you know, get something out to A-B tested? What's that balance look like? Yeah. So when you're asking me, it's tricky because I'm a big fan of just come up with crazy ideas and test them out. (laughs) And as long as you do it within the A-B test platform and you know what your liabilities are and what is a potential win and how like success looks like, I think that you should be able to test everything. Again, like to some degree, you can even test on 5% of the customers. It's not that crazy and it might achieve a good win. I would go for that. If you're testing at 5% of the customers, what do you need to see to be able to push that out towards the other 95%? Or is there a multi-stage approach to testing that to bigger audience before rolling out? I think today at Hopper, because we're just at the beginning of revealing everything, we're looking for the 10x increases of things. 20% increase on RPT or LTV would be a good thing, but we're not at the like friction percent improvement. We're not there. Gotcha. So when you guys rolled out price freeze, which is a massive shift, was that one of those where you tested small or did you guys test big? Yeah. So we started with understanding the uh, liquidity of price freeze and the business case. Like, should it be a fee model or should it be deposit model? And I can tell you that deposit model attached twice higher than the fee model. The conversions were double than the fee model the optimal revenues were doubled in the fee model. So we saw right away that this is much better. And when we talked about liquidity at the beginning, it was a specific place of the funnel. And then when we moved it to a different place in the funnel, it was like 7X increasing attached because of liquidity, because we moved it from like being exposed to only 15% of the customers to actually being like exposed to over 70% of the customers. And yeah, so this is the style of conversation we're having. That's really interesting. I actually have downloaded the app and I've kind of played with it before. What did you think? <laughs> I thought it was very interesting. To be honest, like when I first, uh, I was just looking at pricing and I was just kind of curious and I was like, well, this is interesting. The UI is very different. Like I just thought it was a different feel than a traditional, you know, like the alternative is Kayak, which has its own use case, you know, for me. But uh, I guess I didn't have much of an affinity towards one platform versus the other. So I think Hopper's uh, an interesting concept that um, now that I understand it more, I can see that there's definitely a bit of an understanding from my part that you know now that I get the long-term view, I can see some of those features were built there. And um, I thought it was interesting. I really think, you know, just I think the whole providing the customer that incentive, the drive, the tools that give you confidence, the trust, I think that's the secret sauce for any brand that has strong you know, brand affinity and allegiance is you need that trust that they're going to deliver. People buy Nike or their favorite shoe brand sometimes just because 
they go and that's the one. It's the one you turn to. And Hopper, I think it almost sounds like you want to be, I want to travel. Okay, I'm going to go on Hopper. That's what you guys are looking for. Totally. And I think that you touch a really interesting point, which is the UI at Hopper and the UX. I think that this is another huge challenge. I always say that when you build a good product, the hard work doesn't end in like pricing it correctly. It's actually in communicating it effectively to a user. And when you work on a mobile only app, the challenge is even bigger because you have so much to say and it's such a small screen and there's so much complexity around our features that how you like simplify and refine the right messaging to the users. So when Hopper just started and we did price prediction, we had on our search screen, the price prediction results and we called it forecast because it's price forecasting. And we told users like how the prices will go down an app and how prices will fluctuate as a function of time before departure. But users thought that we're talking about the weather because we said the word forecast. So no one really realized it's price prediction. So this kind of like speaks to how the hard work doesn't end after you launch something or after you realize what is the right model behind the scenes. It's actually like how you communicate it effectively to users. Just curious. That was one thing, you know, it's not your area, but my curiosity, I'm going to ask you if you can answer it. I also was like, why is it just a, a mobile app? I'm sure you guys have tested. Why not, you know, an actual, you know, desktop website? What's the reason that it's purely a mobile Is it because of the data points or is there something else that you guys kept it that way? Yeah, I think that mobile is a super unique ecosystem that allows you to have this long-term conversation with users. So first of all, there's this like mobile is a personal device. So all the signals are from a specific human being, like on your desktop, maybe your friends are using your desktop or family. But when it comes to mobile, it's definitely like a personal device. In addition to that, there's the notification, which is our main tool to have this multi-session conversation. So we're right in your pocket where we send you a specific notification. And if it won't be mobile, we won't be able to do that multi-session conversation on desktop. It's very, very different. So it started from that. Yeah. Like unlocking specific modeling characteristics. Yeah, it's a cool product. Yeah, and I really like when there's a unique angle to a problem being solved. I'm always fascinated by the what's and how's. I think Hopper's, you know, it's a product, it's a problem space that everyone has exposure to, but you guys have a very different approach to it, which I think is interesting compared to others. And, you know, it's, it's easy to download. And not that I'm, you know, telling people what app to use, but I thought I was curious, I might as well try it. They should use Hopper. <laughs> Hey, if, if you're out there traveling, you know, I, I'm a firm fan of, uh, you know, look at everything. And this is an interesting approach, you know, mobile specific. I, I think it's really interesting what you guys are doing. I literally could probably talk to you for uh, <laughs> days on end about what you guys are trying to do. I think it's really awesome. I appreciate you being on, kind of enlightening us about the strategic role of what you do and in, in terms of the, the recommendations and, and how the team's set up. So thank you. And if somebody wants to reach out, questions about, anything we've discussed or something similar, what platform is the best uh, to kind of get to you? Ella at Hopper. Ella at Hopper. <laughs> okay. And then uh, we'll put that out there. Let somebody uh, continue the conversation if they'd like. Again, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Have a great day. Absolutely. That's it for this week. Uh, appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back again next week with another guest, another topic. In the meantime, a couple of things. I'd really love to get some feedback. So subscribe uh, so we know you like it. That's always the easiest way. Leave us a review someplace. 
good or bad, I'm trying to learn. I'm a big fan of getting that feedback. I'm sure you guys have thoughts. I'd love to hear it. And then also, if there's any topics you want us to cover, any other guest types that you want us to have on the show, always let us know. Until next week. Thanks. Thanks.